Hello and welcome to Totally Tell Me, a weekly entertainment review podcast where we talk about movies, music, food, and fun. Laura pulling in just in time. <laughs> uh, my name. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> my name is Dominic Mercurio, and I'm here with Laura Weinbach. Hello, and live from my boat. My bed boat. No, this is not a bed, but somebody said it looked like a bed today, Emily. <laughs> it's true. Yes. I was trying to figure and out what it was. In case anyone like. out there is wondering, it's not a bed, but you know what? For tonight, it can be. <laughs> Welcome to my lair. <laughs> and our very special guest today is Emily Jane White. Hello, Emily. Hey. hey. How's Thanks it going? for having me. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome so to, to have you. Yeah, welcome to Laura's abode. Um, mine is just sort of as per usual. There's really nothing of note, but um, oh, you have a teacup too. Okay, wow. So I guess I really <laughs> missed the memo fancy. on this one. Um, I always have a teacup. It's something I always have every <laughs> single show. It's not special. <laughs> uh, Emily J. White, if you don't know her, she is a singer-songwriter, and uh, her new album, Imminent Fire, came out this earlier this year. Um, Very good album. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. Um, co-produced by Anton, correct? You and Anton? Or how does that, how was the production? Yeah, Anton, Pat's, Anton and I worked on it together. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anton produced and arranged it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, you were just hearing one song off of that album. Um, but if you want to check that out, it's available on all music streaming and purchasing uh, platforms. And um if you don't know, if, you, if this is the first time watching Totally Tell Me, we're a uh, live stream show. We go live every two Sundays at 7 p.m. And uh, we are live on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook right now. If you're listening later on podcast services, you can always tune in again the next time that we go live, which will be in, again, two weeks, December 6th at 7 p.m. Um, if you are watching live, though, right now, feel free to comment, and we will uh, see your comments. We'll read them as as deemed necessary by any one of us really um and uh and yeah i mean i guess that's pretty much that's that's the that's the gist of things but really what we're here to talk about at some point is picnic at hanging rock in case you're wondering why we're all uh dressed up for the part um i got the memo very late i'll just say i was gonna wear a dress but unfortunately this is all i was able to throw together for tonight, um, but are the the others have have worn uh, some appropriate attire for the occasion? Uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock is a 1975 film by Peter Weir. It takes place in 1900, um, and we're gonna be talking about that in the second half of the episode. But the first half of the episode, we're just gonna be chit chatting and catching up, of which I'm very excited to do because I haven't talked with Emily uh, since before I think this pandemic even began. So it's been quite some time. <laughs> was the last time you guys saw each other at my house? I think so. Wow. Yeah. I think when I, I came know. for the video premiere. And you're seeing house. each other at my house once again. <laughs> Yet again. <laughs> Hanging out. Many, you know, all events take <laughs> place in Laura's lounge. house. No. <laughs> your hookah lounge, your king size bed. That's, I mean, <laughs> water bed. It's really unclear what it is, to be honest. All right, people, just to give you a little briefing, this is a set that was created for a different video <laughs> several a couple weeks ago. And this is a cropped image, what you're seeing. It doesn't it's beyond the edges of the screen. It's not as cool. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to get a sneak peek, just since you're tuned in, the few of you that are tuned in, here's what it really looks like. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh, uh -oh. there's the edge. Oh, no, my no more. God. 
cancel everything. Cancel the show. Let's go off the air. Oh, oh my God. Get away from that. You know no. what's funny, though, Laura, <laughs> is like your house already kind of has this oh vibe. Oh, my like, God. Nope. <laughs> it already has what? It already kind of has this vibe somewhat. So, I mean, even you panning away doesn't really make too much of a difference. <laughs> to a degree, but it's, yeah. No, no, I mean, true. I want to make this real, as I was telling you guys earlier. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make, take steps towards achieving such a goal as that. Um <laughs> Um, step number one <laughs> Emily I want to okay. start I would like to start with you though um, Emily how has your uh, how, how has this year been how has the last few months been how has everything been going for you uh, everything's been pretty okay yeah yeah. I've uh, like I said we moved apartments so that kind of ate up the last couple months mm-hmm. um, but yeah other than that everything's been good I've like I said, I went and visited uh, my parents up in Mendocino for a while, kind of a long little stint up there. Mm-hmm. And that was wonderful. And I've been doing a lot of writing, music writing. So that's been good. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Trying to wonderful. stay focused. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. kind of hard to do, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of big changes afoot in all of yes. our lives. Uh Big and small. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. I have done here in your topics. So you were talking about cooking. Um, what, what, have you, what have you been cooking? <laughs> well, I think my thing? question was, how has your cooking progressed during the pandemic? Mm. <laughs> well, I just thought back to this time that I, I took a photo of these scones and this pie I made. And oh. I texted it to Laura. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I like I burnt the edges of the pie and Laura was like, just so you know, like if you don't want to burn the edges of the pie, you can put tin foil over the sides. <laughs> right. So I learned did that. You try that. I did try it and it did worked. It work? It yes. works. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what was the pie? What was the flavor of the pie? Uh, it was a peach pie. Ooh, peach yum. pie. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yummy. Was that and like was a... it a gluten free crust? So it was gluten-free and it was grain-free. It was made with almond flour mm. and coconut oil. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, you can make a pie that is grain-free entirely and sugar-free and it tastes great. Wow. Did you... <laughs> Who would have thought? Wait, how did you... Uh, what did you use? Wait, let me ask you this. Do you not eat dairy as well? <laughs> I forget. Very, very minimally. So no butter, I take it, obviously. that uh, I can have butter. That's probably... Oh. Yeah. So what made you decide to go with coconut oil instead of butter? Uh, I guess because I had experimented with it before, mm. the coconut oil aspect, mm-hmm. and it works fine. Uh-huh. I mean, it doesn't stick together like a regular pie crust. It's mm-hmm. more like kind of crumb, like crumbly? Yeah, uh-huh. but it still tastes fine. Sure. And then, now, how did you go about doing the filling? It's peaches and what else? Uh, peaches, vanilla extract, mm-hmm. and just like you can use like pumpkin spice or you can use cinnamon, spi- you know, cinnamon, and that's mm. it. So, you really? can add a little bit of ta- tapioca flour if you want, uh-huh. because a thickener. I was wondering, I was, yeah, I was wondering about a thickening agent if that was something you <laughs> you can, <laughs> yeah, you can use like tapioca flour or arrowroot flour if you want to stick mm. with the grain free. Love an arrowroot flour, I do. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've used the stuff for various things before. Such I've never heard of it. Household spells and things. <laughs> spells? I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Of course. Arrow of course. flower. It comes into the old spell books every once in a blue corn moon. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, do you feel like you've been cooking uh, different things more often in in, co- in these COVID times? Or, or has it progressed in the opposite direction? Like you're you're cooking just uh, the same stuff or something or yeah. Well, I've definitely cooked more mm-hmm. and I didn't have as much time to cook before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've been, yeah, experimenting with different recipes and things. Nice. So yeah, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for this pandemic, you'd be on tour right now, wouldn't you? Or yeah, you that? <laughs> I would. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would have gone on multiple tours in the last wow. nine months. Mm-hmm. So is it um, still planned for a later time, or is it just kind of TBD? And uh, currently, I have a, sh- a couple of shows on the horizon in France, actually okay. in February, March, but uh, probably won't really know what that's going to be like. Sure, sure. Yeah, Maybe they're on ever. the books. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I but think- anyway, it's it's out there. It's sort of like dangling in the future, and then we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, it's really hard to get a sense of how much longer we're going to be in a sort of a lockdown state as as opposed to being able to actually. Well, and then beyond that, I feel like that I feel like shows are even further out from that just because the idea of even as someone who loves going to shows, the idea of being in a crowded room with a couple hundred people is um, is, is it's not my favorite thing to think about um, in the current days. No, and I was curious. Sorry, Laura. Oh, no, I was going to. Oh, what were you going to say? No, you go. Well, I was just, I mean, obviously, none of us have any idea about any kind of vaccination process. And then how do you certify that all these people who thus then entered into a show were all vaccinated? I I mean, I don't even know. I can't even wrap my head around that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm sure there's like major pieces of information I'm not aware of. Totally. They'll probably have to go on like statistics of, you know, cases that are being, you know, confirmed of people who are getting coronavirus. Like they say that there's going to be a vaccine coming out in April. Hmm. Um, but then, of course, there's the challenge but, of how do you get people to take it and who's going to take it. And um, but but I think the proof will be in, you know, how many more cases of, of COVID are coming out. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. will there be a downtick, you know, in and plus, I think yeah. healthy people are probably going to be bottom of the list for who gets the vaccination first. You know what I mean? I'm sure it'll mm-hmm. be rolled out to us far later. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, outside of all that depressing news, um, <laughs> I wanted to also hear about uh, what you've been watching, Emily. Has there been any uh, of note films that you've seen recently? So I recently watched... There's two things I think I put on the on the little list there. Yeah. The movie The Bear. Have you seen it? No. The no. Bear. It's a 1988 French film mm. that oh, takes cool. place in British Columbia, and it follows an orphan bear cub. As Aww. it, it's like it's actually it's. <laughs> that sounds it's, adorable. It's. <laughs> Is it? Let's just say it's like a beautiful nature film, and uh, there are a couple like bear hunters in it, so there's oh. you know some suspense and that kind of thing. But it's mm-hmm. actually a very touching story. Mm-hmm. And the bear cub essentially gloms onto this older grizzly bear 
and ends up following him around. And it's wow. all real footage of real bears. Oh, that's wow. what I was going to ask. Because I, yeah. I was imagining it animated, but that's cool. No. I there, could imagine it being, yeah. I guess I assumed it was real animals in the film, but it is. maybe there was any true story behind it or not. Or is it based on truth or no? I, I, I don't think it is. Okay. Um, but they, they speak English in the film. The, 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 the bears speak English. <laughs> <laughs> they train the, the bears. <laughs> the bear hunters uh, speak English, but there's not a ton of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But it's also really cool because it's shot. It's like very scenic and there's tons of wildlife. Uh, but there are some parts that are sort of fictitious and imaginative where they go into like the bear cubs dreams. Wow. And... It's, it, you know, it was done in 1988, so it has this very kind of old school feel, but it's yeah. quite well done. That and when you awesome. think about it, getting the scenes that they wanted to with the bears must have taken forever. Oh, yeah. How did you yeah. know? How did what compelled you to watch this film? Nick. <laughs> how did he know? Did he Was it a movie that he, he like had known about for a while or had he just? He'd seen it before, you know, so he was like, you should watch that. It's really good. You would really like it. So cool. It sounds like it's it's got like a planet Earth vibe, which I'm always down. I love just like watching anything with just live action animals just doing their thing. And uh, so so does it kind of mix? um, They're kind of implanting a story upon the, this footage that they found of, of bears, right? I assume, or or are they trained in actually like, doing? Uh, the certain bears things? are actually trained. I mean, I don't know how the bear cub. I don't know how they worked with the bear cub. Right? Yeah, it seems obviously tough. they probably had its mother there and yeah. everything. But the grizzly bears that are in it, they must have in captivity or have trained somehow. I'm I'm not sure actually. I should read up more on it. I just yesterday I briefly looked over the synopsis of the film again. Yeah, but. But it's a French film. Cool. Yeah, cool. I'll French, look into French. it. Yeah. Sounds it's cool. It's worth checking out. Yeah. Laura, what have you uh, been watching lately? Uh, well, since we last spoke, I I didn't watch this movie between now and then, but I didn't get a chance to mention it on the last one, which sure. was uh, My Truth, The Rape of Two Corys. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Pretty hardcore to a degree. I actually, Wait. yes, I watched it. <laughs> what? Okay, let's, let's get some I content. Just, I, I have to apologize because it's not funny it's at not all. It's not funny. No. I know. It's not. It's quite the bomb that you dropped upon I just, this live stream. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't expect you, excuse me, I didn't expect that to come out of your mouth. <laughs> just no, then. It's shocking. Well, it came out in March, guys. Okay, it's like a pretty new movie, but... Corey Feldman was trying oh. to yeah wait okay. what <laughs> what did you think I was talking about or did you what did I what did that sound like when I, I was said? so startled by the title that I just like <laughs> the fact that the Corey and the two I now get it but oh who, so like, you didn't context. know oh you didn't know who I meant when I said the like two Corys yeah originally I think oh, most okay. people wouldn't I don't know who you're oh. talking about with the other Corey though well, so, when people say two cor- the two Corys, I I, t- I know what that means. I mean, I just kind Corey of Hayman, I've grown up Corey Feldman, right? Yeah, like yeah. I've grown okay. up hearing that term a lot. The two Corys, you know what I mean? Like that was just kind of a thing. Um, I mean, they became you know like an item. It was, it was like first it was Corey Corey uh, Feldman, and then Corey Haim became you know they became like 
they became best friends. And um, but Corey Feldman was kind of like in the spotlight before Corey Haim was. But then um, I think it was during Lost Boys that was the first movie that they had done together, and then it became like a whole phenomenon. Like everybody was going crazy for the two Corys, you know, and like people just loved them together. So what's um, this? What's this? What's the premise of the film? Well, it's a documentary that was financed by, I guess, and produced by Corey Feldman. Um, and like he's been saying for years, for years, many years, um, probably decades, that like there's just a big, you know, horrible, you know, phenomenon in Hollywood of, I mean, there's a, a major problem with regard to like pedophilia and how it's something that happens a lot, especially, you know, to, obviously to young children actors that just gets tucked under the rug and like people don't want to deal with it because of for a lot of various reasons whether it's you know shame upon the people who are perpetrating it or financial reasons or reasons of like having to go through extra legal steps to secure to maintain security for kids on sets of films and so it was just not something that a lot of people wanted to deal with for a long time and so Corey Feldman, in his words, like, you know, he got basically, like, I guess, is the term gaslighting appropriate here? Like, called crazy for mm -hmm. saying his truth or whatever. And, like, nobody believed him. And um, granted, I mean, he was, like, on a lot of drugs at various points in his life. And so it looked like he didn't have a lot of validity to things that he would say because of maybe the way that he was presenting his truths or whatever but i have to say like after watching i kind of i go into these weird phases every i don't know couple years where i go on a rabbit hole like in uh, for certain celebrities from my past that like be, were influential to me in certain ways like the Corys <laughs> had an influence on me growing up i watched all their movies you know i mean mm -hmm. i was like really into a lot of the movies that Corey feldman was in and i really liked like License to Drive was one of my favorite movies growing up. And um, it was a revisit to that movie that kind of sparked my <laughs> recent obsession. And so I started watching all these interviews and I was like, and then I discovered that Corey Feldman was coming out with this movie, had come out with this movie in March that he was like trying really hard to get made. And people did not want him to come out with it because he was going to reveal a hardcore name finally of one of the people that raped Corey Haim, his best friend. And so I don't know if you guys knew this, but the two of them had a reality show like in the 2000s or whenever. And it, it kind of came out on the reality show that they had had that they had experienced like sexual molestation or whatever mm -hmm. when they were younger or Corey Haim like says that in one of the scenes in the show. And it was like a big controversy and you know all, all these people were like talking about like who is it who is it you know and Corey Feldman never wanted to name names because he was like in, being intimidated by people and was really scared to come out about who was the perpetrators of these crimes and so anyway people speculate that he's like you know sensationalizing because because why didn't he say these names before you know and why is he waiting to say it in this movie like he's just trying to make money blah 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 I don't know what his direct response to that that accusation is, but I have to say, like, I really do believe him, I guess, after watching all these different interviews and sort of like hearing him speak in different contexts. And his story always remains 
pretty consistent and like just he seems like he's telling the truth that's all i can say i don't know people i I mean i guess people can be really convincing liars but i don't think that i don't know i don't really know so does he why he would does he he says yes (laughs) yes uh, okay oh he names a name that's pretty hardcore because so i also watched this movie lucas that i actually didn't watch when i was growing up and it's a movie that stars Corey haim so Corey Haim is dead now. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, mm-hmm. Corey Haim died like in the, like 2000. He was only 38, I think, or 37. And he had a lot of drug problems. And their lives were like really fucked up from an early age. They were, you know, given drugs and they were allowed to go to crazy, like unsupervised situations as young teens and were... I mean, it's pretty much confirmed that they were both like molested by different people, um, but nobody knew about other people that had been involved. That they were, that apparently Corey Haim was like molested by multiple people, and so was Corey Feldman. And some, and a, one of the people that molested them was molesting both of them. <laughs> it's not funny, but I mean, it happened. And so it's like, I mean, it's just crazy. And anyway, the whole movie is very interesting, but the main name that he reveals as the first person who raped Corey Haim is actually pretty startling because it was one of the people that was in the movie Lucas that I had just watched, not knowing. And I was watching these movies just as a fun, like, kickback thing. You know, during Halloween, I like to watch 80s movies, and I was like, I'm going to watch all my favorite 80s movies in October. (laughs) And so one of them, and then I also wanted to watch movies that I hadn't seen, like Lucas. And I watched that movie, and I really liked it. And it was, like, one of Corey Haim's first movies. He's, like, a young kid actor in it. He's really good in it. And Charlie Sheen is in it, and the girl from Goonies, who's like um, one of the girls from Goonies, is in it. And it's a fun movie, um, an interesting movie, and um, I liked it. And then it turns out when I watched The Rape of Two Quarries that I know I'm spending too much time on this, but the name that Corey Feldman reveals as the first person to have raped Corey Haim was Charlie Sheen. And it was just oh, yeah. kind of crazy because, like, I mean, he had. This came out this year? It came out in March, the movie. But like, like I, when okay. they tried to show it, when they tried to show it in the during his premiere, like I guess hackers like prevented it from airing on right. the air. I remember that. And so he was like, "The hackers are like stopping it from happening," and he actually did sound kind of. It sounded almost like fake the way he was like the hackers, as if like there's one set of hackers. I don't know. Instead of being like <laughs> hackers are trying to get you know not this to not. Ha- I don't know why, but something about the way he said it seemed kind of like. I don't know, weird, but then it ended up showing, I mean, now anybody can watch it. You have to pay to watch it, but like, it's interesting. It's very interesting. But he basically made the movie, he says in the movie, he made it in honor of Corey Haim, who he like made a promise to share his story if he ever passed away, because apparently they had a conversation like not long before Corey Haim died, where he was like, listen, if I don't make it, you know, for another year, you have to promise to like tell the world what happened to me. And mm. Corey Feldman was like, I, you know, I don't want me. You're going to tell them and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, just if. And, you know, he said that he like promised him that he would. And so I don't know. He said that this was for him. And they were, you know, really best friends. And yeah, it was just intense. But intense. Yeah. Crazy. Then, yeah. A, I don't know. It was just interesting. Because like I because, OK, the main reason why did I bring up Lucas and, Car- and Charlie Sheen? Well, I had just watched that movie, Lucas. 
having enjoyed Charlie Sheen's performance in this movie Lucas and like their dynamic. Because he's like plays this kind of not older brother, but he's like the popular, attractive, nice guy in the movie. And he's like a kind soul to Corey Haim. But then Corey Feldman talks about how like oh the the actual rape was really brutal like that he raped him on the set like in between two trailers just out in the open and he like says some pretty graphic stuff and that yeah and that kind of sparked a whole like just downward spiral for Corey Haim where he became like hi hypersexualized basically and like became like, obsessed with sex and like did all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> Interesting, wow. but dark. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's what I watched fairly recently. And then that's I watched The Crown. Yeah, I watched all of The Crown season four. Very good show, I think. Um, I recommend it. The oh, right, it? yeah. On, on Netflix about the Queen of England. Oh, that's on Netflix? I thought it was on yeah, HBO or a, something. It's a Netflix it's original. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, um, so as they say, dark times. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> uh, I, How, what about you? What have you been watching? Yeah. I watched um, this show that I kind of briefly told you about, Laura, but I definitely haven't told you, Emily, um, on HBO called We Are Who We Are by Luca Guadagnino, mm -hmm. who oh, is... Oh, yes, I watched the first episode of that, by the way. Oh, well, we'll talk in just a second. Yes, um, we will. Go but uh, Luca Guadagnino, if you don't know, he directed... Uh, Suspiria most recently and probably more notably Call Me By Your Name which of course went on to win um, Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars that year um, and of course we uh, had totally tell me uh, we reviewed that and absolutely loved it H have you seen that movie Emily by chance? Call Me By My Name? Yeah, Call, call Me by, by Your, your Name <laughs> By Your Name sorry yeah. yeah I have seen it oh cool yeah and I yeah. saw the, the, you're talking about the remake of Suspiria. Yes. Yeah, oh, I saw that? that with you, Laura. Oh, yeah. yeah. You and Anton. Oh my God. That's right. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I loved it. <laughs> yeah. So look at what I mean, you know, to me, he's just totally been on a streak of just <clears throat> really excellent films. This is his first foray into television. Um, and it's a whole season on HBO Go or, or I guess HBO Max, they rebranded it. Um, and he directs every single episode. He, he doesn't write the episodes, but he directs them. And uh, it really does, in my opinion, very much have his touch all over it. And I uh, really love it. I, I finished it yesterday. And I mean, wow. Just like a high recommendation to anybody who hasn't seen it. Definitely give it a shot. At least just check out the first few episodes or something and See if it's for you. If you liked his other stuff, I can't imagine that you wouldn't love this. It's it's very similar in many ways. It feels like, um, you know, if you were to make an eight-hour movie. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really want to give away too much of, of plot or anything like that, but it's a coming-of-age story, and it takes place... It's a modern-day coming-of-age story that takes place in Italy. So in some ways, it certainly harkens back to Calling By Your Name's just uh, at least with the, that briefest of setup, but it goes in, in I would say, a, pr a pretty different direction. But, man, I just loved it. And, uh, Laura, I'm curious what, what you thought of just seeing the first episode, which I feel like... Well, actually, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I did not like it. I'm sorry. I what? love Nino. I love Call Me By Your Name. I love Suspiria. I liked the Tilda Swinton movie. I forget what it's called now. A Bigger um, Splash. 
a bigger sl- I didn't love that, but I thought it was pretty good. And um, yeah, this one I just felt was really not for me. <laughs> Holy shit! I just couldn't get. Oh, I was like, when is it going to be over? It's really. I just thought it was boring, and I was not interested in any of the characters. Sorry. Holy shit! So you're not even going to keep watching? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh my god! I mean, I would just, I would absolutely encourage you to do so. I mean, it really. really? What did you think of the first episode? I was intrigued, but I didn't love it yet. And then oh. it just gets better and better. I mean, okay. I, uh, I feel like the main character is someone you, you, you takes a lot of warming up to. <laughs> uh, actually, we're getting uh, a I just comment. Did not like. Oh, go ahead. We're yeah. getting a comment from Nicole Kyle who says, "I think the show gets better after episode one." And okay. thanks for the recommendation, Dominic. I've watched three episodes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. Uh, I would give it right. more than I'll one try, episode. I'll try another one or two. Yeah, I guess I just thought. I mean, you may as well. It's Luke Guadagnino. I mean, damn. It's, when you recommended it to me, you didn't warn me. Uh, well, I just thought, so because you didn't say like, oh, watch more than one episode because the first one's difficult or something. I would say that if for you any show, though. If you like, would have said that about this, then I would have like been much more inclined to be like, all right, I'm just going to get past this. But th- you were just kind of all about the whole show. And so maybe I just thought we don't agree on this. <laughs> I'm about the whole show. As in, like, if you were to take all eight episodes and consider that one film, it's incredible. <laughs> uh-huh. But I mean, uh, like, if you would have just thought the first episode was amazing, then I would know that we were intrinsically like just, you know, at odds with each other on this particular Right. Piece of work. I don't know, but maybe I'll try again. You know, I'll try because uh, again, I love the director. I he's one of my favorite current day direct, you know, living directors. So he's incredible. I don't. Um, know. Well, okay. Look, I want to just move right along here. Uh, yeah, let's move along. Laura, it says hoarders new. <laughs> well, oh, have you been hoarding? <laughs> You've been hoarding. Oh what? no, that was enough. <laughs> I don't have a lot going on in my physical life. I'm just watching a lot of stuff, <laughs> mostly shows. And another show I watched was Hoarders. Not really the show. I mean, my brother was like calling me yesterday being like, you got to watch these two episodes of Hoarders. It's like so hardcore. And <laughs> have you seen Hoarders, Emily? I haven't. Do you it's know hardcore. what it is? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's yeah. so intense. Okay. Well, do you want I've to brief what it, it is, before. Laura, for people who haven't it's seen a- it? It's a reality show about people who basically hoard stuff in their houses and they live in just like essentially a dump. I mean, it's like a landfill in their house. It's crazy. I mean, it really is sad because it's like generally speaking a symptom of, of mental illness, you know, or usually the people who hoard are people who have had some traumatic thing happen to them. Mm-hmm. But like their homes are just filled to the brim with stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the and this episode was just particularly intense because it was like not just stuff but it was actual garbage basically but they weren't like they had enough money to not have garbage it was just they just didn't throw any garbage away and also they had these crazy really thick cobwebs everywhere it looked like a haunted mansion but like you know like if 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 you had spider webs in a can you know that you could spray that's what it looked like in there so thick and then they also just had all these spiders in there, like tons and tons of spiders, and like you need tons- some of that for your for your little den there. Yeah, <laughs> spray spider exactly. web. That would be good. I mean, but a it nice was touch. real though, and it was so <laughs> intense. And uh, also, there were just like a lot of roaches in there. It was just very hardcore. And I mean, you know, it's what it is. <laughs> My brother and I were like trying to analyze it because 
Well, we have a family member who's a bit of a hoarder um, on my dad's side. I mean, I probably, well, I could say it. I don't care. It's fine. We don't really talk to her anymore. It's unfortunate. But yeah, that house became a straight up hoarding house. And um, it's just, she also does kind of have mental illness, I would have to say. Um, but yeah, it's a thing. People don't want to let go of stuff. No, they do not. <laughs> so yeah, watch that. What else did you want to talk about? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I'll say that I uh, look. I've been looking for a new place, and in fact, oh, I, I saw that on your um, thing. I I'm going to be Wait, moving so in January, but still in the city. Um, I'm not like. Why are you moving? Uh, well, I basically it's somewhat of a long story, but to make the sh- to make it a shorter version, uh, one of my other roommates is is moving out. I live with three other people here. Um, one of my other roommates is moving out, and we've been trying to find someone to fill that spot. And it has just been, it's a total shift in San Francisco right now as far as the renter's market. Um, usually when you put something up, which we've done in the past, like people have moved in and out of this spot through the years that I've lived here. Um, and when we've put it up before, we'll get 50 plus responses in like the first day of putting it up on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, this time we had an empty room we put it up for less money than we ever have. Um, and we wow. got zero responses until like a week later where we got like wow. one random response that was like not even someone that we would consider for it. And it's oh just, uh, it is so different. I mean, that's crazy. But on the plus side, it's a great time to look for a new yeah. spot in San Francisco okay. and yeah. buy us putting up the. Uh, uh, our apartment, I was, I couldn't help but notice that there were plenty of other apartments out there at pretty reasonable wow. prices, and so I just kind of, I, I, I took a, I took a leap of faith here, and um, I'll, I'll still be pretty close by, but I'll just be living with one other person, but in a, I mean, in many other ways, uh, a um, much nicer spot, <laughs> bigger cool. room. Wow. Where, which area is it? Uh, it's at the edge of the mission uh, and Portrero oh, Hill. Cool. Oh, you already found the place. Yeah, yeah, I'm moving in uh, January. January oh, 1st I thought you said you were date. looking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I was looking ever so briefly, and then I found a spot very quickly. <laughs> Wait, let me just because there are quite a few. No, I know, but so you're moving out of your place just because you can't find another person to rent the room, or just you're like, uh, well... it's more just like that mixed with that. I began to realize that you can there get a better place. Better in in a way better deals like where i'm going to be moving to i will be spending a little more but i'm going to be getting a whole lot more than what i currently have you know what i mean i got a control? i got a backyard now huge backyard wow. uh, i have my own bathroom with a mm. with a tub that's laundry in wow. unit laundry i mean that's a big one i'm sick your of your own bathroom with a tub that's a hardcore can you upgrade. believe it i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have a bubble bath, take a bath second i <laughs> second i move in light some candles and let's get this party started you know this victorian lord will be taking a bath <laughs> i'm gonna send i'm gonna set my bathroom just like your little backdrop here i'm gonna like get some curtains and <laughs> oh my god how cool would this be if it was a bathroom yeah what if you were in the tub like right there like that was i would tub. enjoy that <laughs> just sitting on your tea at the side table and <laughs> you'd never do anything else you'd never leave <laughs> <laughs> you could have your little laptop as on a little side you know or those little i would not want a laptop to contaminate the atmosphere no no laptops okay. allowed in the bathroom i'm just saying that yes. you would never even have to leave you could like work from the bathroom. no i hear that i hear that but <laughs> yeah 
but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know how that all, uh, goes as, as the time. Yeah. But for now, well, I'm just, congratulations. I'm, That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, all right. Mm. I think maybe we should actually move to the movie at hand here. Um, our main topic, topic of the day, Picnic at Hanging Rock, again, 1975 Yay. film by Peter Weir, uh, or I should say, actually, just just directed by by Peter Weir. He didn't he didn't write it. It was um, written or it was adapted from a 1967 novel, novel of the same name by Joan Lindsay, and uh, this screenplay was written by Cliff Green. It's a Australian mystery film that also stars Rachel Roberts, Dominic Gard, Helen Morse, Vivian Gray, and Jackie Weaver, of which I know exactly zero of them uh laura or emily do you know do, do any of those names were, were they like did they have other don't forget ann lambert who? well and well um john jarrett is also in the movie and ann lambert who plays miranda the main girl mm-hmm. um oh how did i miss that okay. john jarrett however i didn't know this when i originally watched the movie but when i watched it this time around i was like oh my god that's john jarrett who plays the australian uh guy who helps find or tries to help find the girl who's like friends with the other boy who's the like dark hair or the, or the blonde hair the dark haired one okay so mm-hmm. john jarrett is the star of the horror movie the australian horror film wolf creek i don't know if you saw that Remember no that? way he's the old guy in that yeah he's the old guy in that and he Holy also shit. was in my dad's movie shiver <laughs> as Whoa. the uh villain i love wolf creek actually i'm I'm yeah, and John Jarrett is an amazing actor. He's a really good actor in Wolf Creek, and he's and he's pretty good in my dad's movie. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh-huh. he's like an an older man now. But I just I realized when I'm watching, I was like, oh my god, that's John Jarrett. So that was kind of interesting. Right, right, and right. Yeah, and um and Anne Lambert plays the younger. You know, she played Miranda, the beautiful Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, Vivian, uh, what's her name? Gray. Vivian Gray. What else is she in? I know she's in stuff. Um, I don't know. Keep talking, and I'm going to look this up because I'm, <laughs> I'm like blanking at the moment. But I gotcha. definitely well, know her name. Okay. Well, if you're watching and you haven't seen the film, we are not going to talk any spoilers at first. We're just going to talk our first impressions, and then after a period of time, we'll make it very clear that we're going to move to spoilers to put a spoiler spoiler warning on the screen as well. Um, so feel free to keep on watching, even if you have not seen Picnic at Hanging Rock, the 1975 Peter Weir film. Uh, but in the meantime, we like to start with our guests here. So Emily, what did you think of, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock? Or actually, would you like to say if you've seen it before or? I I had seen it before. Okay. Yeah. It had been a while though. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's, I mean, it's sort of aesthetically... Uh, immersive mm-hmm. with you know all of the costume the fact that it's like a it's a period piece mm-hmm. um sort of soft focus mm-hmm. uh warm tones yeah and yeah i mean i would have to say the thing i i really love about it i really like the soundtrack actually yes i love the soundtrack oh, uh God, and i love so the way good. that the piano is recorded in the piano songs mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that was something i noticed this time around and then all of the stuff that's just instrumental with the flute. I feel like I've heard yes. that somewhere else. It's, yeah, you know, I, I, it was really bringing to mind 
something that's in one of Quentin Tarantino's films. And I almost wondered, like, was that a nod to this? Or or am I just, what, was it like the same flautist or something? Or how do you say it? When they're... Flautist. <laughs> flautist. Okay, cool. player? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the melody really, it, it, I, it, I think it's Kill Bill, but I'm not sure. But there's there's mm. something in one of his oh, films. Gypsy Kings? What was that? <laughs> He uses gypsy. It's kind of like South South American panpipe music, or mm-hmm. I can't remember Peruvian what it was. Panpipe but... music. It reminds one of that to a degree. Right. Anyways, um, go ahead, Emily. <laughs> but yeah, it's beautiful. I love it so much too. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I just thought the soundtrack was really. It was something I noticed more this time around. Oh, cool. So nice. Yeah. So overall, you love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was something I really appreciated revisiting and. You know, mm-hmm. all the costumes and the the dialogue is precious <laughs> and kind of funny uh-huh. <laughs> at times. <laughs> funny funny in, uh, in, in what way? <laughs> just, just in the sense that, you know, it's like all the girls, the, the women have like very few lines and, mm. you know, they're sort of like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like you feel like it's, yeah, it kind of shows its, its, its age in that way. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to admit, I did watch like a free version streaming on YouTube. So I unfortunately, yesterday, I unfortunately didn't get like a crystal clear image. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was yeah. like soft focus gone even more. <laughs> soft <laughs> gone through the digital age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was really great to watch again. Nice. And, you know, I thought, well, I would love to make like an analysis of the film. Like, what is this film really about? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't just take the face value narrative and you actually analyze the film. Sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I was like, but I, I just wasn't really in that headspace last night. <laughs> I was like, I think, I think in order to do a really proper na- analysis, I'd have to watch it again. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we can, but we anyway, can... I'm curious what you guys think. Well, we can I, I can think about time. it. Yeah, 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 let's let's and think we'll more see. and more you don't about have it. To like, you don't have to know right now. A lot of times when we totally. talk about movies on this show, I won't know how I feel about a movie until we start talking about it, and then I start to realize things about the movie as we talk. It just unfolds itself, you know? And plus, mm-hmm. we, should, we should save any deep analysis, especially mm-hmm. of like too much of the plot stuff, for a little bit later once we kind of get into spoilers and stuff. Right. Um, but Laura, what did... I mean... <laughs> I think we all know, but what 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 do you think of Picnic and Hanging Rock, Laura? I absolutely love this movie. It's one of my <laughs> top five favorite movies of all time. I just think it's practically perfect. Practically perfect. I mean, there's yeah. I just think it's excellent. I think it's it's well made, well, just so well executed. I mean, the directing is so good. It really captures a mood that transcends the screen, you know, and it's just so. I personally love how few words are spoken in this movie. You know, I feel like the words that are spoken are so memorable. And I I guess like the first in the first 10 minutes of or no, the first 30 minutes of the film, there's things that are said that you're like, wow, that line is just so amazing. And it rings out, you know, I feel like they these lines, they become implanted in my mind when I'm watching it. Of course, I'd seen it. I did had seen it before several times, but like, um, you, I hadn't seen it in several years. So coming back to the film, like I knew there were certain lines that were going to happen. And then um, 
And then there were other lines that I forgot about that happened. And I was like, wow, this is just so good, you know. <laughs> but then and I thought that's going to be like implanted in my memory, you know. And then I remembered that they kind of repeat some of these lines throughout the movie. I mean, they continually try to kind of like ingrain them in your, in your psyche. And so maybe that was why like I was holding on to these certain lines in the beginning. But <laughs> I mean... I just think it's brilliant and I love the spaciousness of it and the just ominous tones that it evokes without doing very much, you know? I mean, it's just like really a less is more kind of thing and it's just, this is how I feel like movies should be made. <laughs> so that's my opinion. Dominic, <laughs> what, do you do? what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a joy to watch. I mean, as far as just the look of it, it's incredible. The aesthetics are great. Um, I feel like it has a really strong, um, a really strong vision with just um, creating a mood and and atmosphere for, for, for the, all the characters to exist in. Um, and I was certainly hooked in the beginning as far as the mystery goes, mm -hmm. kind of the setup of, of the film, um, which I don't even think we really mentioned, but without spoilers, essentially it's about a group, uh, a group of what 30 ish or there, there's like a lot of them, right? That I guess that we're not seeing everybody, but uh, a group of schoolgirls in Australia um, are near this rock hanging. They rock. go on a picnic for St. Valentine's day. <laughs> right. And then um, yeah. <laughs> mysterious things, I suppose happen at that, at that point. And then the rest of the film is kind of exploring what, what happened or, or why it happened, etc. Uh, so I mean that hooked me for sure. I, I felt like it got it got me interested immediately, um, but I certainly was losing interest in the second half. Um, I felt like it started to get kind of meandery, and I was just kind of waiting for the next, like to figure out what was happening. You know, uh, so I felt some frustration. I think with just um, the plot and also. I wasn't super attached to the characters. I, I just mainly liked watching it just because the cinematography was so gorgeous. Um, and I love the music. I, I know, Emily, you already said that, but I, I would totally agree that the soundtrack was awesome. And I and I kind of wished that there was more of it because they repeat some of the um, themes pretty mm -hmm. often, like maybe a little more often than I would want. Uh, as amazing as those themes are, it was almost like, because they were so good, I was just dying to hear a new piece of music. Every time that a new one started, I was just very much into it. I also really liked the tones that they use, the, the kind of less, you know, musical points in the film where it's just these dark, low tones mm -hmm. that are going on when they're actually at Hanging Rock. That was cool. I mean, it, it was... It was weird and and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was I was I was into it, but then it started to wane for me. But I'll get into why I suppose in a little bit here. But you know, I think it's not. I think it's just less my thing <laughs> than it is yours, Laura. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, it's definitely my uh, like aesthetic choice as well, style that I like. I, I gravitate towards that as well. But just. Uh, I don't know, but I for me the plot really does keep me going. Like I'm 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 attached to all of it. You know, I'm I'm interested in everything about this movie, not just the aesthetic aspect of it, but really just the 
Well, I, also, I, am, I don't know. I'm drawn to it. I, I just find it to be hypnotic, really. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's well, something I'll, about... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <clears throat> the whole thing is like being in a trance. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. And it's just... It's just filled with a certain, like, wonder and magic, but real eeriness and something very dark, too, that's... It's not just in the world of the film, but there's something about the quality of this movie that remi- that captures a feeling that is very familiar and very much uh, sort of um, resonates with, like, for me, my childhood in the 80s. <laughs> something about the 80s. That there's a quality to it that's, like, very eerie. <laughs> and it reminded me of it reminds me of the 1985 movie Alice in Wonderland. And I remember thinking that when I first saw this, it's a made for TV live action um, version of Alice in Wonderland that came out in 1985. And something about these films and there's other films in the, from the 80s and early 80s too that have this quality that's just like something about the sound quality and the image quality that takes me into this weird feeling you know what i mean that's i'm interested in because i don't really understand it even though it's like kind of scary but also kind of like romantic and i noticed something this time watching it that really like was interesting to me one of the props in this movie and i don't know if this was like a common like piece that was around during the time but like there's a, a portrait of a woman and i didn't recognize it at first but so there's a portrait of a woman that's in the headmistress's like office or whatever in this movie mm-hmm. and I'm like I've seen that painting before and then I realized oh my god that painting was also in the main set of Alice in Wonderland in her house the 1985 made for TV movie mm. and I was like holy shit that is freaking weird and then it shows there's another scene so there's actually two scenes in Picnic at Hanging Rock that that painting appears in two different set designs and so they like use this painting twice in this movie and then it's totally featured in the Alice in Wonderland one. And that picture is so creepy to me. I think it's actually a, 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 a profile painting of Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> and maybe that was like a famous iconic um, depiction of Queen Elizabeth. But then I was like looking it up online and I couldn't find that image of Queen Elizabeth II by just doing a Google search. You know what I mean? So maybe it wasn't as famous as... It's just weird that it's in both of those movies and it gave me such a weird feeling in the one movie when I was a kid and then in this movie, which I watched later on in life, you know, and like, I, I'm you know, pulling this it up movie on, on came this, out first. On the screen? The yeah, so I sent Dominic. <laughs> yeah, I sent Dominic. I, I, so is I took this... a photo when I saw it in Picnic and Hang Rock. I was like, is that the same painting that's in Alice in Wonderland? I took a picture and then I looked it up online. I was like, it is the same one. And it's so weird. Is oh, it wait, the one of this? It? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, Emily it. can't see it right now, but so that so the picture that's hanging on the wall, yes, that's well, the one. And notice that it's in a it's in a square frame, but then within the square frame is an oval like circular frame, a circular like mounting, right? Hmm. Now look at the other picture. Right, well, let me let me fix this so it's, it actually shows. There we go. I think it's... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking... Uh, You're a bit delayed, 20, but yeah. 20 seconds are, behind. <laughs> but people right. see it, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely okay. the same. <laughs> like Isn't that, that is, weird? I like that this is just a picture of you. <laughs> you, like, took a picture of the screen of the TV. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to lose it. I was like, I don't know how else I'm going to find this. <laughs> this is a little peek inside Laura's house is what you're, is what you're seeing right now. 
But isn't that so weird? It's also in an oval-shaped thing. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Like, why is it in both of these movies? You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, by the way, as you were talking, Jared L. Floyd commented uh, that you describe it the way that I would describe Lawrence of Arabia, which I actually haven't seen. Have either of you seen that film? You know, I haven't, and I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. <laughs> but it's just, I know it's a long commitment, so I keep putting it off. But I want right, right, right. <laughs> Um, yeah, all right. Well, I think we should probably get to... Well, actually, wait, I had one, one, one other quick thing. One other mystery that I was actually very curious about. Like, how does the head mistress woman... Like, what's with the bump it? Can you... What's can with you her explain, hair? Yeah, can you explain, like, the hair? I was trying to figure out the physics of it the whole movie. It was a mystery that went unsolved. I was trying to figure that out, too, because you can see the back <laughs> of it at certain points where, like... You know how she had like the two flat bang things that went yeah. headband around her head, but if you look at the back, it was like tucked in and yeah, it looked like it kind went, of. It almost looked it like going a up? Lit. No, no, like you. If you look at the back of her head, like the two bang things in the back, they met in the back and then got tucked into some kind of like weird envelope. Oh, to me, it looked like the back. <laughs> or something. The back was like know. going up. You know, like it was going oh, up no, into yes. the bulbous part of the back was up too. I know, <laughs> but there was like a seam also. I think I don't know. It looked very odd. I couldn't. I couldn't quite figure it out. It was okay. I mean, how does mystery, one even get like the rest of the movie? <laughs> the hair, how does one get the hair like that? I just didn't. Un- like, is there something in there that's holding probably. it? Or okay. I would imagine it's All a right. straight up wig. In yeah, in real life, probably a wig. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I feel like. I, I looked at her hair a couple times and I noticed the color changed oh. different <laughs> times, but maybe it was just like the shot and the, the lighting. lighting was different. I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> it was definitely the least attractive hairstyle in the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> like all the other people had pretty good hair, but then her hair was just like <laughs> trying to be, well, I think she was supposed to look very severe and kind of, you know, generally unattractive. So <laughs> It was like 70s does Victorian, obviously. You know, that's I mean? the thing about the film is that it's a 1975 interpretation of 1900. True, but I felt yeah. like the rest of the characters didn't seem to like 70s out. In my, I mean, I guess to a small degree because the hair was like long yeah. and parted in the yeah. middle. But like, but with Miranda, the late the main girl, the one who was described as one of Botticelli's angels, I felt like she just had such a timeless look. You know, it really. To me, transcends. Was she the one with the longer, lighter hair? She's the blonde, the blonde one who's like kind of the main. I feel like she's the main girl, and and then, um, by the way, Vivian Gray is the one who plays Sarah, um, the one who's the orphan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess she's not in anything I've ever seen before, but she reminded me of Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Connelly, kind of. (laughs) I like. I thought she's she's a great actor. Yeah, she does look look a little bit like Jennifer Connelly. It's true. Yeah, um, but uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and then the uh, the French teacher, the woman who plays the French teacher, she she looks pretty, like, I think, timeless. I mean, I think true to the times, you know what I mean, of the of the film, of the mm-hmm. world of the mm-hmm. film. Not She doesn't look to me like a 70s version of Victorian. I don't know. At least I don't think so, but because, yeah, some well, of the other characters did, but not her. Yeah. Do we, uh, are we good to get into, into spoilers or, or was there anything else that anybody wanted sure. to discuss before we get into that? Into the oh story? yeah, yeah. Sure, we can get into spoilers. Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's call it spoilers then. Uh, if you haven't seen 
Picnic at Hanging Rock and uh, you don't want to know anything about the plot, now would be the time to tune out. But if you if you don't care or if you have already seen the film, keep keep on keep on listening, keep on watching. So with that in mind, um, let's let's briefly talk about the plot of this film. Um, so some girls go missing when they go on this picnic to Hanging Rock. Uh, four girls and then well three young girls and then one of their teachers who was I suppose one of the supervisors of this trip. Um, they all go missing on. The woman that? in red. The woman, the woman in, in the red dress. Yeah. yeah. Who, what, who, she was one of their teachers, right? Or who was she? Someone who worked at the school? <clears throat> I feel like she was kind of the main partner of the, the, the principal of the school. Okay. So Appleyard. Uh, right. Mrs. Appleyard. Mrs. Appleyard is the main principal. And then I feel like she talks about the teacher who ends up going missing um, as being sort of her most reliable you know, person or somebody that she felt that she could always count on. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered if she, they were basically like business partners or if she was sort of a teacher underneath. Her. I mean, I guess she was sort of beneath her in terms of position or rank mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, sure. Yeah. She was just, you know, an, admi- an administrator at the school. <laughs> yeah. So three, three other young girls, though, go missing. And one of them, uh, uh, another girl beyond those three was with them and escapes and is kind of, she seems to forget, she, she has forgotten what, what happened. Um, so you're kind of, that's the central mystery, is what happened to these girls. And as the movie goes on, we kind of are getting, we're hearing from different people. There's a couple of guys who kind of, I think, take a, a large interest in, in the mystery because they saw them that day. And then they go looking for them. One of them gets kind of wrapped up in, in this mysterious force of this rock. And uh, I guess he doesn't die, but he kind of like convulses and is like stuck up there and then is saved by the other guy. Uh, later on, they find one of the missing girls and she's just kind of coward and, and uh, uh, seems like she's on her on her last legs uh, in deep in the rock. And then uh, eventually it's this is the part that I was getting a little confused at, but. It seems like the the orphan. What was her name? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Sarah. Uh, Sarah uh, so the headmaster. Well, why don't you why, why don't you fill me in, Laura? What 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 happens with Sarah and the headmaster? Because I was sort of, I just couldn't really follow what was going on there. Like Sarah was not. She didn't have her tuition or paid or something or. Yeah. So Sarah's an orphan, uh-huh. and I don't know whether the headmaster like mistress was aware of the fact that she actually was an orphan or thought that she would eventually get paid by one of Sarah's relatives, I guess Sarah's uncle or something. And then she said that he was six months behind. And so essentially the headmistress made the decision to send Sarah back to the orphanage and not allow her to continue taking classes at the school. And now Sarah is like really upset because not only is she getting thrown out of the school, but she has lost her best friend, I guess, who's Miranda, one of the girls that goes missing. And she deeply misses her brother, Bertie, who I guess she, she just, she talks about during one scene and talks about how she had a brother at the orphanage and that she kept saying his name throughout the movie, like from the beginning. Um, she kind of has these weird dreams about him, it seems like. And, and then we realize that Bertie is her brother and Bertie is the guy who's played by John Jarrett. We realize by the end of the film. I don't know if you realize that 
No. So John Jarrett, the guy. <laughs> I missed that entirely. John Jarrett's <laughs> telling the boy who goes back to the rock and, you know, he uh, gets, he basically gets cast under the spell of the rock and he's mm-hmm. all, you know, kind of injured and stuff. So he's her brother. So the, not him, not the one who gets injured, but John Jarrett who comes back to find him, the one who's the dark hair. The dark hair. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it turns out he is the brother of Sarah. Okay. He ta- and he's telling the other guy about this dream that he had where he was in a room and there were all these pansies and he sees his sister and she's like saying goodbye to him. Hmm. And um, it turns out that it was her. And then in that moment, my my first thing, you know, thought was, oh, she she's dead. She killed herself. <laughs> and then um, and she's like visiting him one last time. And I guess it's really interesting because. She was the only one in the school of all the students who wasn't allowed to go on the picnic. But had she gone on that picnic, she probably would have gone with Miranda and the other two two girls on that walk because she was like best friends with Miranda. So they probably would have all walked together and she probably would have disappeared with them. And yeah. Bertie, her brother, would have seen her, you know, because they saw sure. the girls. And so um, it's interesting. Um, well, yeah, again, I feel like I want to try to understand this movie from a more kind of literary standpoint or like analysis, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is really mysterious and I don't feel like I fully understand it now, even after having seen it many times or exactly what it's supposed to mean. I feel like there's certainly themes of loss of innocence and, you know, transcending a, a new like cycles of life and things like that. But in a much in a more like deep and specific sense, I don't fully know, <laughs> but I think just the idea of that loss of innocence theme really resonated with me when I first saw this movie. And like, at first, I thought it was the girls going into their womanhood basically and leaving their their child selves behind, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's like all these precursors that are like s- s- sort of kind of telling them that, you know what I mean, in the beginning. And somehow, Mar- but the fact that like Miranda knows. You know what I mean? She's like, I won't be here much longer. And that she's, I don't know, that they have these like, you know, that one of them comes back and her hands are damaged and her face is damaged, but she has no damage to the rest of them. And they keep emphasizing the fact that she's intact, meaning she wasn't raped. And the other girl who goes with them, who doesn't actually um, go missing, the kind of chubbier one, you know, Mm -hmm. she... uh, has damage but she's not raped or whatever which they keep talking about she's intact she's intact and so there's this kind of that idea of that goes against sort of the idea of like loss of innocence you know what I mean or I think to a degree like there's still a kind of maintenance of this innocence right to, to a, in a sense I mean in that very surface level Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe it's like, oh, these girls weren't ready to go. Maybe they weren't ready to like give up their innocence and maybe the other two were. But why the other two? Why why the girl with the glasses and why Miranda and I don't know. Yeah. Well and then also <laughs> But I it, actually Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. It also ends on a on a confusing note for me as well with uh Sarah's death or her body is discovered. Mm-hmm. We don't really know the circumstances of her death, but it's it's on school grounds. It seems to be in some sort of greenhouse or something like that. And then the headmaster kind of the final shot of the story minus the kind of flashback is of the headmaster in All black. Uh, a morning yeah, like and she has what's that a veil. She has like a veil on 
and she just kind of is looking with no emotion as she's told that Sarah's dead. So then I was like, okay, so is it implying that she murdered Sarah? Wait, you or- also realize she died too, right? Had the headmaster? Mm-hmm. She was dead in that shot? Not in that. Well, didn't you hear the part when at the end there's like an over a voiceover that's saying on March 28th, 1900, uh, had Mr. or the principal Apple Yard of Apple Yard <laughs> College was found dead at the bottom of Hanging Rock. Oh, my God. I totally heard. And they didn't know how she died, but they thought that she died maybe trying to climb the rock. OK, I totally. And so that. she was like, obviously really depressed. Maybe she killed Sarah or maybe Sarah killed herself because when she's discovered in the greenhouse by the guy, he like notices there's broken glass around the area. Right. And so he thinks that some kids brought, tried to break in or broke his his greenhouse. But it then he looks up at the window of the schoolyard and sees some evidence of, I think, somebody having jumped out of the window and landing in his greenhouse. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's like, mm. so these I'm thinking, kids, these messy right. kids. But I think that that shot going back to the, the actual school, the room at the, on the second story of the school or whatever, implies that, some, that something happened that, where somebody was like jumping from one place to the other. You know what I mean? Or that something hit uh-huh. the ceiling of the greenhouse and came through. And um, we don't know if Mrs. Appleyard killed her or if somehow they, their deaths were linked like that. And also she talks about the other woman, you know, the woman that she considered her confidant who was missing, right? The woman in red. Mm-hmm. She talks about how she felt that she was like a disgrace. She's like, how could she allow herself to be whisked away like a silly schoolgirl, raped and then disappeared? Like she basically blamed her for not just disappearing and but she 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 was placing blame on her disappearance as like something that she allowed to happen in a way in in a whimsical kind of way you know what i mean and like a loss of her you know adult self basically implying that she had some notion as to what it was that actually captured these women or these girls you know like it wasn't just that they had gone missing, but that they somehow chose to be to go missing, that they somehow embraced some sort of element of adventure or excitement in the experience of being gone. You know what I mean? That there was something enticing that was almost kind of um, like forbidden and and like like taking the forbidden fruit, so to speak, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they were. Like that they were engaging in some kind of sinful activity by choice. Okay. That's kind of what I think that the headmistress was implying when she was like talking about the other woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Emily, what was your interpretation of (laughs) these events? Well, I think because of the, the, the girl who escapes, who's Mm -hmm. with the original part of the original four, right? She was like, I was running back down. And then I said, Mm -hmm. I saw uh, the woman in the red dress. I'm so terrible with remembering names. I don't remember her name. No, not Apple Yard. And she was like, and she wasn't wearing any pantaloons. (laughs) Right. No, I think she, no, she was saying that she was only, 
only wearing pantaloons. Oh, only wearing pantaloons. That she Sorry, wasn't wearing so. her skirt. She was, yeah. So she wasn't oh. wearing her skirt that you could see underneath. So obviously that implies something happened to her in a sexual manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could inter- a very easy interpretation of the entire film is that it's all about female sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. also think though, the, the sort of supernatural quality of the rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, what does hanging rock mean? But it's also just sort of this sort of supernatural, this rock, people disappear into the rock. Nobody knows why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by telling a story about an all girls school, 1900, they're all wearing white. Mm-hmm. The woman who is seen walking up the hill <clears throat> only wearing her pantaloons is wearing red. She's the only one wearing red. Right. I mean, I don't know if that means anything or not, but probably it probably, I'm sure it has some symbolism. I definitely noticed her dress in the beginning. Um, What about like the man, the fact that there's only one man with them and he's like older and kind of. Right. There's that too. And the head, head, Mrs. Appleyard says in the very beginning of the film, she says, be careful about hanging rock. You know, there's snakes. Yeah. Things happen at hanging rock. And she basically is just saying like, you shouldn't even from what I recall, I didn't take notes or anything, but you know, she was almost implying you shouldn't go up there, Mm -hmm. but yet they all go up there anyway. And she's Mm -hmm. the only one who's not wearing, she's like one of the few people besides the redhead, the red dress who doesn't wear white. Right. She's like almost always wearing like dark colors, except for that one. She's never wearing like the pure white that the rest of them are wearing, you know? Yeah. So in this interpretation for either of you, really, um, where does the the man who then tries to find them and then kind of get sucked into it uh, fall as well? Like if this is kind of oh, about the boy? Him, yeah. 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 The, the younger guy who, who goes who then I think a couple days later or whatever, tries to go and find them up there. Um, so he also kind of gets sucked into it. So then does that have any bearance on, cause it seems like something similar happens to him that happens to, to these women as well. Like, is this just about, I don't know. It, it, I, I guess I'm struggling to, to see it as clearly one thing or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Because exactly. I, I That's totally what I missed mean. All that. It, and, and I mean, you guys talking about it, it, it makes a lot of sense, but but I'm still just like pretty perplexed as to what this rock, um, if it, if it has a meaning or if it, or if it's just kind of like this, you know, supernatural force kind of story, you know? And that's what I thought it was going to be knowing nothing about the film going into it. It seemed like it was going to be a much more simple mystery kind of thing. And then, uh, I just was kind of like for the last half when it's, when it seems to be more about like it it kind of, I feel like it stops being about the mystery halfway through and then it doesn't really, I don't know. Like it Mm. it feels like that kind of becomes a secondary story to just now, like they're back at the school and you know, they're having these conversations that I was having a hard time following. I think it's, personally think it's definitely still about the mystery and it's giving us little clue like it's kind of giving us clues okay i also will say this i read the book too <laughs> and i actually clear? well okay i mean 
it goes beyond the movie in terms of like the plot line and it tells you kind of what happened to the girls mm-hmm. and uh i, I don't want to attach that to this film because it's not like i don't think this film is doing what this the book does and that and on, on, on intentionally like sure, i think sure. that the film took some themes that it picked up from the book and it ran with that and made yeah. this movie really, I think, more aligned with themes than actual plot line. Mm-hmm. And the plot line in the book, it really changes the meaning, I feel like, of a lot of the... Yeah. It's just like it goes in a totally different direction, I'll put it that way, than right. what you would think. And I Does it have it more depth? Like, does the narrative have more depth? No. I wouldn't okay. say that the, like... So, I mean... I can't, okay, that's, I wouldn't say yes or no on that more depth, you know what I mean? Because I think that there is depth, you know what I mean? To be had, I mean, I honestly, I don't remember the book that well, but I do remember the plot of it really well and how it ends up, how the ending is in it. And it's totally not what you would expect. Like, it mm. basically practically changes genres, I'll say that much. Mm. So to it's what? like, can you say the genre? <laughs> Horror? No, it almost becomes like science fiction. Okay. Oh. So yeah, that's what I was and it's wondering. Kind of like, like, but the movie, to... I don't feel that this movie is that at all. Like, I really think that the movie, it's, it's, I think it's intentionally trying to remain ambiguous and not even like, I mean, this is totally my interpretation. I mean, there's obvious these themes, like what you're saying, you know, female sexuality and, um, you know, kind of, I think the um, imp- inclination to want to explore that which is forbidden and, um, you know, like what well, women, like- women being in an all women's school kind of all protected and like, mm-hmm. you know, the if they stray from that, it's on them and something and very like dangerous very- could happen. Right. And that there's you know. it's also a, probably a commentary to a degree about how women were sort of. I think, um, you know, forced to be during the times or whatever. But there's also, I think there's universal themes that transcend the times. So that's kind of what, I think that's what I try to focus on in the sense of it. Like, what is it? Why did they want to make this movie in 1975, you know, or whenever it was like, because I don't know. I don't necessarily think that the filmmaker wanted this to be a movie just about the time, like, you know, women's roles in 1900. You know what I mean? Or yeah. the role of women's sexuality in 1900. I think it was yeah. trying to um, express something that was like more transcendent and more like universal that was still a thing. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. I'm, I just I think that these things are at play. But then I also feel like there's um, there's still a lot of mystery to it. And maybe that's the point is like maybe it's about the mystery of female sexuality and how it is like this intriguing, like perplexing thing that is um, like an enigma, but also very um, uh, alluring and, and, um, and enticing to those who I guess choose to engage with it or like try to understand it. You can't understand it. Maybe. I don't know. And like the two guys were, you know, they were transfixed, right? Like when they saw the girls, they were like, wow, these were like these objects of sexual desire. Right. Yeah. And beauty and like (laughs) angelic, angelic, like they represented an icon of something that was like, they had never had. And that was like unattainable, but also right there. But then they kept chasing it throughout the movie without ever really being able to, grasp it and maybe that's 
maybe that's what it's about is like that that's what female sexuality maybe or that's what they're saying about female sexuality maybe is that it's like something that's I don't know like somehow I don't know I don't know I'm just spitballing here guys I don't I think know. I think in in general it's some kind of interpretation of a idea of a particular kind of gendered femininity mm-hmm. and sexuality of the time of a particular time period reinterpreting a, another time period mm-hmm. but really I think the main goal of the film was to make something kind of arty and beautiful I don't yeah I don't really think I mean I think I think the part about the story that you know they grasped onto was the fact that there was like this rock and this rock disappeared these girls and you know there I mean there isn't really any story out there like that Mm-hmm. But captured also from these time periods. What about like the specific lines that they chose to highlight? Like, now I know. What do you know? I love yeah. that. I just love that line. Now I know. What do you know? And then she says that Miranda is one of Botticelli's angels. Like that part could be there or not for me. Like, I just love that precursor. Now I know. What do you know? And then like everything always happens or everything always begins and ends at the exactly the right time and place. And then there's that other line where she's like, I think there's, it's remarkable how many people seem to serve no purpose in this world, although it's very likely that they do serve some kind of function without knowing it. It's just such a brilliant line. I'm probably not See, saying lot, it right, but wow. A lot of that wow. stuff, though, happened in the beginning, and I was very intrigued by all that. I also really like that line, and it clearly stands out as like this just weird exchange that uh, you immediately pay attention to because it, it seems... Like they, they're also saying it slowly too, and right. I don't know, there, there's something about it that <clears throat> is, uh, makes it, it, it grabs your attention. Um, mm-hmm. And and I and I also love the imagery that they use at the top of the rock too, with with overlaying the uh, birds flying across and like mm-hmm. the one woman who's kind of dancing on, uh, she's kind of backlit by the sun and, and spinning around. And I mean, there, it's really cool, but yeah, then it just kind of <laughs> it lost my interest as the time went on. Uh, Jer- I want to say, though, Jer- Jared Floyd I'll messaged... Keep saying that. I'll be yeah. right back. My computer's about to die. I just need to get my battery. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Carry on. Uh, I was just... Yeah, yeah. I was just looking up some analyses of Picnic at Hanging Rock because I was really curious now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Jared Floyd wrote in uh, and he said, in, in tarot cards, the hangman means a sacrifice made willingly. Maybe Hanging Rock has a connection to that. I've actually not seen uh, it, but what you're describing is making me think of that. Yeah, I think that's interesting, too. I mean, it's, maybe they sacrifice themselves willingly. It, it, it doesn't really seem like they're resisting it, that's for sure. Um, like, they're not screaming. They don't seem to be in pain. The only person resisting it is the uh, woman who escapes. Um and she's kind of resisting it the entire time. Yeah. And she's, she's like, like, why are we go. doing this? Yeah. yeah. This rock's giving me a weird feeling. I'm so tired. I want to turn back. Like, she seems to, whereas everyone else is kind of just, well, let's just keep on going. Like, let's just, and then they just kind of walk off without a care in the world. So, I mean, I think that, that there's something there. Yeah. I mean, it feels willing. Whether it's the rock that's kind of hypnotizing them into thinking that they should do this or not is kind of, I think, up to interpretation, but. It's also interesting that, like, the one who doesn't want to do it is the one who's, like, the least sexualized of all of them, in a way. You know, I mean, in 
the context of the movie. It's like she's the fat one or whatever. You know what I mean? And so it's like she's the least adventurous. She's the least one who wants to explore, I guess. I mean, the implications of sexuality or whatever because she doesn't take her stockings off. The other ones take off their stockings. A pretty blazing, like, symbolic, you know, gesture. Um, And... Well, yeah, it's just, she's like terrified of sexuality, it seems like, whereas the other ones are like intrigued and fascinated by it. Mm. If we're going to, you know, lay yeah, that, go that run, on, run with that, run idea. with that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. also, I mean, just adventure in general, you know what I mean? Like these girls are trying to break through the chains of like the times. Right. I mean, the, the, the gloves being the very first thing, they all want to take their gloves off. Right. Mm hmm. Like, that's the first thing they get to do, and it's, like, actually okayed by the headmistress. But then they take it to the next step where they, like, take their shoes off and they take their stockings off. And it's, like, that's, you know, a literal gesture of trying to break out of these kind of, you know, repressive sort of uniforms that they've been forced to endure. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's an adventure for them to some degree. Uh, any final thoughts know. before I think we should probably wrap up in the next few minutes, but were there any other things that we haven't touched on in the film that either of you wanted to kind of dig deep into? Uh, I don't know. I just love this movie and <laughs> I, <laughs> I definitely felt like I got more out of it again, watching it this time, just not having seen it in a few years and kind of forgetting some of the plot even. And yeah, I think that if you watched it a second time, you might notice that a lot of the, details in the dialogue and um they do tell you a lot about the plot yeah. and also oh wasn't it i just love the swan thing like how the swan oh it appeared. kept going back to the swan i forgot I about that. that there was some symbolism happening with the swan definitely <laughs> but sure. also just like how the swan was like appearing on the kids bet on the boy's bed mm-hmm. oh yeah that was awesome and i just love the surreal aspects of that and like how it's just but it's never like to me, there's so much nuance in this movie and it's never like in your face or too doing too much. I just feel like it's just the right amount of everything. You know what I mean? And it's kind of mm-hmm. subtle, but also intense, you know, and I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Any, any final thoughts, Emily, before we wrap it up? Um. I'm very curious to read now some analyses of Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah. Uh, Let's do uh, that. I'm going to do that too. Yeah, we should <laughs> be back for a second round yeah, after round we two. do. <laughs> <laughs> we can uh, report but, back in your, in your stead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, but it's a beautiful film. I mean, it's, it's definitely worth watching a few times, I think. Uh, and, it, you know, it's shot on film. Yeah. So, you know, it's not digital. Um, no. it is unless nice you're watching a really there's bad digital version on YouTube. Like yeah. Wait, I have should... you seen, did you know there's a new, like, you know, re- yeah, remake, remake. Of, uh, on Amazon? Yeah, I knew. And you, you said it was so bad, Laura. So I never checked it out. I was upset by it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's all about the vibe. It doesn't really, like, the plot didn't necessarily grabbed me the thing that grabbed me more was just the vibe of the film the visuals yeah Yeah. so i mean i don't really feel like you can recreate that unless you really get a great auteur behind it who's gonna like basically create a whole new thing but at that point 
what's the point? You know, just make just make a new film at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Let's leave it here with with Jared's last uh, comment that he just sent us in. Uh, next time you do one of these, I'm going to watch the film so I can give more insights. I listen because I like hearing people talk about art, and that's exactly right. <laughs> Even if you watch this, if you watch these films or not, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, thanks for tuning in, Jared, uh, specifically, but really for anybody watching. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, it's not necessary that you watch the films, but if you want to, please feel free. And we we always announce the films that we're going to watch on Instagram ahead of time. So if you want to, you you can. And in fact, our uh, we haven't decided on our next film, but the next time we will be doing this is December sixth. And who's who's our guest again? I think you were setting this one up. Uh, Kramis. Kramis. My buddy Kramis. Yeah. Wait, are you uh, sure art, it's musical not- artist. Are you sure it's not? Oh, chalky? unless it's Chalky. <laughs> Either Chalky or Kramis. I forget who's before the other. Oops. Someone's going to be there and we're going to watch a new film. Oh, yeah, so. it's Chalky. Sorry, it's Chalky. It's Chalky. Cool. Right. And so if you want to know the next film that we're going to watch, follow us on Instagram at Totally Tell Me, Jared, or really anybody. Um, and Emily, where can people find uh, more of you if they'd like to hear your music or follow you? Uh, my music is up on all streaming platforms. Um, and my website is emilyjanewhite.net mm-hmm. and I'm on all social media as Emily Jane White. So yeah, out there in the world in this modern day and age, it's not like picnic at hanging rock anymore. <laughs> you can't call the <laughs> landline or send a letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, we couldn't do this, but that's true. <laughs> what, it, what would it be like to do a podcast with no internet we would be in a salon or a parlor somewhere (laughs) sitting in a group yeah (laughs) with like a quartet or a trio behind us string trio or quartet (laughs) sort of serenading us and maybe one person would like jump on the harpsichord there you go or like I don't know. And yeah, we'd just be talking, you know, we'd be wearing our... It'd be like city arts and lectures. Mm, but smaller. <laughs> smaller. <laughs> I like it. their talks. They're, they're, they're good. Um, I used to go to them in person, but now obviously that's, that's not a thing. But I think they still air them in a way that you can listen to them or something on, hmm. on uh, some radio station that I'm forgetting the name of. But... Uh, with that, <laughs> thanks again, Emily, for being on yeah, the show. Yeah, thank you so thanks much for, for having being me. On it was super fun. Yeah, yeah thanks for dressing up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Can we see your whole dress? Or can we well, see, like... I have to admit that, unfortunately, in the moving process, I, like, spilled coffee on it. Aw. So... I'm sorry. I and I was like, well, good thing I'll be sitting tonight. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so pretty. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Oh, so, thank really you nice. for wearing that. Yeah, Laura, I need to. We need to see your dress now. When did you? Okay. When did you get that? Wait. Uh, honestly, ooh, I love it. Thank you. Nice. I, especially, nice. I like the. It's yours is very picnic at Hanging Rock. It is, isn't it? Yes. Actually, this was one of the like several wedding dresses that I had. Oh. <laughs> I mean, because Anton and I got married like four times <laughs> for different. <laughs> I think I told you about that. Uh, okay, yeah, fine. We had, like, our, since you asked, yeah, I mean, dominant, you know, like, I mean here dominant. I am. I'm just hanging out in my shorts here. You know, we're just doing a thing. It's like, uh, this is a little something that I picked up along the way. I mean, it's no big you're deal. just in, you're only wearing your pantaloons. <laughs> I'm only wearing my pantaloons. <laughs> I think that was the funniest part of the film. 
Right. <laughs> so I'm we wearing pantaloons. <laughs> Anyways, this has been Totally Tell Me. Um, if you want to see the next episode, again, December 6th, uh, you can follow us on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch. That's where we go live. And if you can't tune in for the live episodes, we post them later on uh, all sorts of podcast services. Wherever you get podcasts, you'll find us. So, with that, um, again, Emily, thanks for being on, and thanks, thanks Laura, for, for being me. here. And we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Totally Tell Me. Bye, everybody. Bye.